This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. To Elijah Brown. Step back three ball. Yeah! What a shot! 16 points for Elijah Brown. 37 to 16 Oregon. Brown Jr. Landoff pass left wing right in front of us. Dribbles into traffic down the lane. Nice pass to Wood for the dunk. Brown Jr. drawing the defense. Dishes to a wide open Wood for a jam. And welcome in to another edition of the Quack Attack. Final day of January and we hurdle in toward February, which means the college basketball regular season is coming down the stretch. Before we get into March, conference tournaments, and of course, March Madness itself right around the corner. Welcome into the Quack Attack. I'm Judah Newby, and I got you for the next hour. Chris Partee, my main man behind the glass here on the game. Coming up on tonight's show, big show, we got Scott Reese, Stanford play-by-play voice, coming up in our second segment. That will be here in a few minutes as the Ducks go to the Bay Area. They have Cal Thursday night, Stanford Saturday afternoon. That Stanford game has massive importance given both teams Current place in the Pac-12 standings. Stanford, a team that has lost three games in a row, but prior to that, they were one of the toughest outs in the conference. And keep in mind, those three straight losses have been to teams like Arizona, winners of six straight, to USC, winners of six straight, and at UCLA. And we all know how tough it is to play at Pauley Pavilion. So Ducks cannot take Stanford lightly. They can't take Cal lightly either. But I figured on tonight's show it would take more of a Stanford feel given that 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 game's just a much bigger game for Oregon than the Cal game is. No offense to Cal, but they're in rebuild mode. They're only 1-6 in Pac-12 play right now. That should be a nice duck win. It might not be easy, but it should be a, a win for Oregon. And if they can get that win, that would mean three in a row. UCLA, Oregon State, Cal. Going into that Stanford game, we'll see how Stanford fares against Oregon State tomorrow night. Speaking of which, if you want to watch Stanford and Oregon State, that tips off at 8 p.m. tomorrow night, and Aaron Goldsmith will have the TV call on Fox Sports 1. Aaron, you may recognize that name. He is, of course, the television and radio voice of the Seattle Mariners. Many of you hear his voice right here on these airwaves on 1029-750 The Game, your Portland home of the Seattle Mariners. And, of course, spring training opens up in just under a month. And opening day for the Mariners against the Cleveland Indians is coming up in the last days of March. Aaron will have plenty of calls this baseball season. But first for him, he's got college basketball responsibilities to attend to for Fox. Not only does he have the call of Beavers Cardinal Thursday night, but then he also has the call of Ducks Cardinal Saturday 2 p.m. You, of course, can hear it on the radio right here on the game, but you can watch it with Aaron on the mic 2 p.m. Saturday. And that's going to be on Fox National, Big Fox, as they call it, Channel 12 in the greater Portland area, KPTV, our friends over there. So tune in for that. Aaron Goldsmith joins us at 7.30. Scott Reese joins us here coming up in a few minutes. Stanford play-by-play man. First, Civil War recap. Big game for the Ducks. Getting the victory. Started out fast. 16-point lead by halftime. Peyton Pritchard didn't take a shot until the final minute of the first half. Didn't have a point until the second half. Yet it's Elijah Brown doing the damage just as he did here from deep. Elijah Brown. Step back three ball. Yeah! 
37-16 Oregon. Elijah Brown had 18 points by halftime. He finished with 20 for the game, adding a couple of late free throws. Also, big shout-out, Paul White coming off the bench for 17 points for himself. White has had a pair of really nice games against the Beavers. And the Ducks earn a Civil War split in this 2018 conference season. But can they parlay that into momentum by the Bay? It's always a tough place to play, both Berkeley and Palo Alto. But coming up next, we will talk to Stanford play-by-play -play man Scott Reese. That's on the other side of this break. Aaron Goldsmith joins us at the bottom of the hour. Quack attack fully underway. Judah Newby here with you on 1029 750 The Game. to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. Stanford likes to act like the big brother when they're playing at home in Palo Alto. They're always a tough conference out playing at uh, Maples Pavilion. Let's go to the phones right now on the Quack Attack where we're joined by the voice of Stanford football and basketball, Scott Reese, a former ESPNer, and he's been the voice of uh, Stanford athletics for the last five years now. Scott, thanks for joining us tonight. How are things down there? Uh, good, good. All is well down here. I was actually going to lead with that. What's uh, morale like around Stanford basketball, considering uh, the program was playing really well earlier this month and then has gone through a three-game losing skid, albeit to some good teams, but what's morale like right now for Stanford? You know, this team is so focused on the one-day-at-a-time thing, and it's it's cliche and you never want to hear it, but they, they don't think about winning streaks and losing streaks and schedule coming up. I mean, they, they are just dialed in on one, on, on the next game. So uh, morale doesn't really change, and Coach Hass and his staff deserve a lot of credit for that. These guys are as even keel as I've seen uh, in, you know, a lot of years in following the program. So, you know, they, they took their lumps in L.A., as I think most teams will, going to USC and UCLA. They lost by two to Arizona, had a chance to win the buzzer so uh you know it's uh, a function of uh, the, the the toughest two weeks of the schedule they went one and three but now they come home and, and hope to get well there well that mindset is uh is certainly um appreciated in college basketball where the kids minds from 18 to 22 years old aren't exactly reaching their peak maturity yet but at stanford i know that's kind of a different conversation that being said scott the the fact that these games I know UCLA wasn't close, but the Arizona game a couple weeks ago was a nail-biter. The USC game last week was a nail-biter. Are the, Do you see these kids wearing their emotions on their sleeves at any point with these close losses? Uh, you know, for about 10 minutes after the game, uh, and and they're pretty good about turning the page. Um, you know, it's this is all about kind of bigger picture stuff, and, and Coach Hass really... Um, emphasizes that that you know, there's going to be growing pains. You're talking about turning a program around, you know, that has been to the NCAA tournament once in the last nine years. So it's baby steps, and we've seen a lot of progress in conference. Uh, you know, they, they bolted out to that five and one start. But really, uh, we, with the exception of UCLA in the last game, every game was a nail biter. Every game was close, win or lose. In fact, they uh, they, they they fell that uh, one game short, uh, UCLA game short of a, an incredible streak. They would have been the first team, or excuse me, the second team in three decades to play nine straight conference games in single digits in terms of margin. I mean, that's how close all the games have been. So, uh, you know, the blowout, I think, was the aberration. I think Stanford's going to be in just about every game, win or lose, and, and it's been exciting. I think that's that's one thing that the kids are really taking hold of, that, that it's been a fun brand of basketball, and, and, and we're seeing the steps in the right direction. Speaking of the head coach, Jared Haas, 
He's in his second year after four really good years at UAB. 14 wins a season ago. Um, and an impressive recruiting class in his full first season at the helm at Stanford. What's Jared Hass's personality like? How is he fitting into the role of head coach at Stanford basketball? Beautifully. Uh, I think he is the perfect fit for this program. Um, you know, he, he is the perfect blend of, of passion and intensity, but not taking himself uh, too seriously. Uh, he, he knows when to, to buckle down and, and to, you know, get up in the guy's grills, and he knows when to, to joke around and, and, you know, be their friend. And, and he just he's very relatable. He's, he's a relatable, easy-to-talk-to guy, um, very approachable. And, and he's also, the other thing I love about him from a media standpoint is he's very transparent. You know, he doesn't speak in cliches uh, as much as some other coaches do. When you ask him after a game, you know, he'll tell you, you know, we stunk in this particular area or, you know, we were really good in this place, but, but he'll give it to you straight. So, uh, to answer your question, love the fit. Um, I love the direction of the program, and, and you mentioned the recruiting class. I mean, this freshman class at Stanford is absolutely fantastic, and we're seeing some of the fruits of that now, and we're going to see a lot more in the next couple of years. Yeah, some of those fruits were on display in that UCLA game. I know Dejon Davis had a career high with 23 points. He had a, a buzzer beater earlier this year. I loved your call on that against USC. Uh, what's Davis like in terms of being a freshman fitting in on this roster that's trying to establish its upward trajectory? You know, he, he has that sort of it quality that you want in a point guard. Um, he's just a natural leader. He's a quiet leader. Um, but but I think his play, his teammates gravitate toward him and they follow his example. And you can see that even as a true freshman, I think, which bodes really well. Um, so, you, you know, he, he took his lumps early on this year. Turnovers were a big issue in the non-conference. I think at one point, you know, nine or ten games in, he was leading the nation in turnovers, which is never a good thing. If, you know, 350 teams out there. Uh, but he's been so much better in that regard. And you, you're seeing the emerging star now of games like UCLA and, and, and what he's done, particularly in the last four or five games. So um, it, it, the future is so bright. And we know, I mean, you guys, you know how important – a, a, a great point guard can be in the future of a college basketball program, and Stanford couldn't be in better shape in that regard. It's fun watching a college basketball team that's got a strong front court presence, and Stanford has exactly that with the junior Reed Travis and the senior Michael Humphrey. Uh, speaking of Reed in particular, I know he kind of broke out in a big way last season. Now he's averaging over 19 points a game this season has had a flurry of double-doubles in there, too. What's Reed's game like on the court, and what kind of person is he like off the court? Um, again, not to sound like a broken record, but another just terrific individual off the court. Um, very likable. Um, he's been a three-year team captain, so that obviously speaks volumes. You know, not, not a lot of guys can say they've been captain of their college basketball season or team for three straight seasons, and, and, and he may be a fourth because he can come back next year if he wants to, and, and he'd, he'd undoubtedly be a captain again. So um, in terms of on the court, I think most people are, are familiar with his game. Um, you know, the, the, the comp, I think, early on that we used was John Brockman from Washington a few years back, just an absolute you know, glass-eater, double-double machine. Um, Reed isn't quite the rebounder that Brockman was, but he's a better offensive player, and he's also added the three-point shot to his repertoire in spots. He's not a great three-point shooter, but prior to this season, he never took one, and now he's, you know, taking one or two a game. So, um, you know, he's expanding his game a little bit. Uh, his free throws obviously have gotten a lot of publicity, gotten better over the years, but just a, a terrific, solid, and at times dominating player, and, and obviously a, a guy who Stanford leans on heavily. 
Scott Reese joining us here on 102.9750 The Game. He's the play-by-play voice of Stanford football and basketball. Ducks and Stanford coming up this Saturday. So, Scott, when Stanford is clicking, when things are going well for them, what are they? how are they executing on the court? What does that look like? Um, they're not turning the ball over. I think that's, that's a big part of it. And, and when you've got four freshmen in heavy rotation, uh, including the point guard, you know, turnovers are going to be an issue. And, and like I said, it, re- it was a big issue with Dejan early in the season, and he's been much better about that in conference play. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, when the turnovers are low, uh, they tend to have a lot of success. Um, everything else is, is sort of even keel. They're a, they're a pretty good but not great shooting team. Uh, they're a really good rebounding team, and that pretty much uh, stays steady game to game, win or lose. And, and like I said, the margin has been so thin that it's hard to say, well, they've done this in their wins and they've done this in their losses because the wins and the losses have been separated by like three points. So, I mean, honestly, it's, you know, it's, it's, they've been pretty steady in conference play other than that UCLA game. Now, the one thing that's been a big red flag has been the free throw shooting. It's been really bad for much of the conference, and they're better than that. I mean, they've got individually guys who are capable of being good free throw shooters. So, again, some of that goes to freshmen. Some of that goes to, you know, the, the mental grind of a team that is trying to figure out how to win close games. And, and to their credit, they have won more than they've lost. They're 5-4 and four in conference. But, uh, you know, the free throw shooting has been a concern. But other than that, don't turn it over and, and good things happen. I think that's kind of the mantra. You mentioned them keeping an even keel amidst a three-game losing streak. But I also got to imagine some of that is just victim of circumstance. I mean, Arizona's a really good team, and they've won six in a row. USC is finding themselves. They've won six in a row. UCLA is always tough to beat down in uh, L.A. Stanford knows that. And you look ahead at this schedule, Scott, and Cardinal got games at home, of course, with the Beavers and Ducks. Utah and Colorado and Cal all on the road, all in the bottom half of the conference. Home games with UW and Wazoo, and then finishing on the road at Arizona, I know this team, in terms of the roster and coaching staff, is always just looking one game ahead, one foot in front of the other. But is there not a thought? Is there not a a narrative that could suggest Stanford piecing this thing together and then re-finding themselves here down the stretch and making a big push toward March? From the team, no. I promise you they're not thinking that. From the broadcasters, yeah, absolutely. We talk about it every game. You know, we're aware of the schedule, and the fans are aware of the schedule. And, you know, if you look at, uh, in a vacuum, you look at the next nine games, Stanford will be favored in five of them. And, you know, so if you, you, you know, you can play the game, it says, well, you win the games that you're favored, and then you steal one on the road in, you know, in Utah or in Colorado, you're six and three, and then, you know, you're at least in the conversation. The problem with Stanford is they had so many bad losses in the non-conference they can't get back in that NCAA conversation without doing something extraordinary. And by extraordinary, I mean, you know, going 7-2, and two, winning at Arizona, something along those lines. They just, the numbers don't add up because of the early season losses. But that said, this is a team that could certainly uh, not only go 6-3 and three in, the, in the back and, and finish in the top four, maybe in the conference, but this is a team that teams aren't going to be excited to play in, in Vegas. And I think that's, you know, one carrot that's always out there is, well, anybody can run the table. But this is a team that is fully capable of running the table. They've beaten SC. They've beaten UCLA. They've beaten Arizona State. And they came within two points of Arizona, a game that they were up by 11 points with about eight minutes to go with the Wildcats. So, uh, you know, th- there is certainly a lot left to play for. An at-large bid is almost impossible for this team, but that doesn't mean the postseason is completely out of the question, and certainly Vegas is there for everybody. In terms of this matchup with Oregon on Saturday, high-profile game. It's going to be televised on Fox. I'm sure the vibes around the 
the pavilion in Stanford is is going to be high. What do you see with this matchup with the Ducks? It's it's a good matchup. Uh, Oregon is always tough, and and you know the, the games uh, have swung. Uh, largely in, in recent years on where the game has been played. You know, obviously we've had a lot of trouble playing up in Eugene, and, and you know, we've had some success against Oregon, even when the, the Ducks have been ranked. We've beaten them a couple times down here in, in Northern California. Um, and this is an Oregon team that's, you know, also getting better as the season goes on, which we expected with all the new faces, and, and Dane is one of the best coaches in college basketball, and everybody knows that. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's one of these games that could be really, really electric and high-scoring and exciting the way both teams play. Uh, and, and Stanford, is, this isn't like the plotting Stanford teams of the past where they want to score in the you know, 55, 60 points every game. They can push pace. They're averaging 78 a game in conference, and obviously the Ducks want to push pace. So I think that uh, you know, it has all the makings of what should be a lot of fun, and, and you mentioned the national TV and everything else uh, in, in, in the afternoon on Saturday. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Scott Reese, play-by-play voice of Stanford football and basketball, joining us on the game in his fifth season in that role at Stanford. And Scott, before I let you go, I also wanted to pivot back to your background with the mothership when you were at ESPN for, uh, I believe, eight years at the turn of the century. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, turn of the century sounds like a long time ago, but you, at least you didn't go turn of, a, of the uh, millennium. So that's uh, good. Man, uh, yeah, I should have re- rethought that. But that being said, those were, <laughs> those were formative years for me as a sports fan, and I remember uh, watching you and your role there. Um, of course, I remember you filling in on some sports centers along the way, but could you share you know, a couple of memories from your time working at ESPN? Who were you close to, and what was it just like to be in Bristol during that time? Wow. I mean, that's a question that would take about four days to answer, <laughs> um, but, but I will say this. It, it is, there's a reason that it's the worldwide leader in sports, and I think that the landscape has changed, and it's a slightly different product. Not slightly, it's a, it's a vastly different product than it was 10 years ago and 15 years ago. But the, 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 the resources, the level of production, the, the talent, and I don't just mean on air, I mean production uh, producers and directors and graphics and researchers and just the overall talent is so far and away above anything else that I've ever seen. And I've worked in local and I've worked at regionals, but, I mean, ESPN is completely in a class in and of itself in terms of that. And it was, uh, you, you say formative, I mean, that doesn't begin to describe it. I, I can't imagine, you know, my career without having been there. It's just that big a part of, of what I do and still the way that I do television and, and sort of every fiber of my, my TV being. So it, without getting too, you know, crazy off the wall here, it's, it's an unbelievable place. Um, I still talk to some of the guys. Um, I have just a limitless respect for some of the on-air guys that you see, guys like Scott Van Pelt and John Anderson and, and Steve Levy and, and Reese Davis. I mean, the list goes on. But just th- these are th- they are so incredibly good at what they do, and I think we take it for granted because we watch them every night. But uh, it's really a cool place. Bachelor's degree in 93 in communications from Stanford. Master's in 94 from Stanford in sociology. I know that uh, your broadcast career path from that point through your time at ESPN landed you back in Palo Alto around 2013, taking over for the renowned Dave Fleming. Scott, I say all that just to ask how fulfilling is it for you at this point in your career to be back with the Stanford Cardinal doing play-by-play for football and basketball, let alone the fact that you're in the Bay Area sports scene day in, day out. Coolest thing ever. You know, and... and ESPN, you know, you say, well, that's the pinnacle of the TV career, and, and, you know, that may be true, but 
to, to be able to do play-by-play for your alma mater, you know, when you're a diehard fan and you're watching to every game and you're listening to every game. And, you know, I remember doing the student radio when I was at Stanford to, to think that now I do this professionally and, and get paid to do it. And, and you know, it's, it's one of my jobs. It's awesome. And, and any sports fan can relate. But sitting courtside for every home game and sitting in the booth for every football game, especially with the run that, that football's had over the last, you know, decade it's it's an honor and it's just more fun than you can possibly know follow him on twitter at stanford voice scott reese play-by-play for stanford football and basketball the cardinal get the beavers thursday night and the ducks saturday afternoon scott you've been very generous with your time thanks for joining us here on the game no problem anytime scott reese joining us on the quack attack we'll go away we'll come back aaron goldsmith voice of the mariners also does college hoops for fox sports and he's got the call of both beeb stanford tomorrow night on fs1 and duck stanford saturday afternoon 2 p.m on big fox that's the national channel channel 12 in the greater portland area hey goldie himself joins us on the other side of this timeout i'm judah newbie this is the quack attack on 1029 750 the game More Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. All right, Wayne Thompson into Eubanks at the post. Wooten fronts it. Hands go up, trying to pass out of it. Bailey Jr. steals it. To the basket. Dunks! Victor Bailey Jr. The takeaway and the jam. Victor Bailey Jr., one of the high flyers on the Oregon Duck bench. It's a very young unit and a very future-centric unit is the Duck bench, but it will play a pivotal role this week as the Ducks first travel to Cal Thursday night and travel to Palo Alto to take on the Stanford Cardinals Saturday afternoon. Back out to the phones we go on the Quack Attack. I'm Judah Newby here on 1029-750 The Game. And pleased to be joined now by Aaron Goldsmith. First off, you know him if you listen to the game over the summertime and baseball season. He's the voice both on the radio and TV side for the Seattle Mariners. And during a big season for them. Of course, spring training coming up later in February and uh, March 29th. Opening day for the M's against the Cleveland Indians. And he also does college basketball for Fox Sports. He has the call of Oregon State Stanford tomorrow night on FS1, tips at 8 p.m. Then he's got the call of Ducks Stanford Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. on Fox National, Big Fox, as they call it, uh, over there with the with the Fox Network. He is Aaron Goldsmith. Aaron, good to talk to you, to you again, my friend. How are you? Hey, Judah, doing very well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I know uh, college basketball fans in this area, very excited to have you on the call of both of their local games this week. Of course, on this very same station, us being the affiliate in Portland of the Seattle Mariners, we'll be uh, hearing you all baseball season long, and we all look forward to that. But it's a special treat when you get to call some college hoops action as well. Um, You've got both calls in Palo Alto. What is there to do in Palo Alto for a a whole week's time? Are you familiar with, uh, (laughs) with pacing a week like that? (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's um, Palo Alto is a, as you know, the Pac-12 is kind of different than a lot of conferences where we actually have some, where we have some pretty major cities for college towns, and I, I would put Palo Alto in with that mix. So it's a, a really good place to spend some time, especially if you've got kind of a, a two games at bridge three days. So uh, it's for us who are a little waterlogged here in Seattle. Uh, it's nice to get to Palo Alto for a few days and uh, get in some sunshine and uh, get to Maples for a couple of games. I've got to imagine that you've been to just about 
every Pac-12 basketball venue. Um, what arena, and you can feel free to be objective and unbiased here, even though we are the home of the Ducks, uh, what venue or arena has left the biggest impression on you during your time broadcasting these Pac-12 basketball games in terms of atmosphere or environment or intensity? Boy, that's a fun question. Probably if I was to do, like assuming that it's a sold-out crowd in all these games we're talking about, I really, I think a sneaky good pick to that question is Utah. Mm. Uh, the Huntsman Center is a really great spot. It's huge. It's tough for them to fill that up, uh, but they can, and I've been there when they have been able to. Uh, but if you get a really great, like Utah, Arizona at the Huntsman, uh, the it, the court setup is different. The court almost kind of feels like it's submerged. The student section is uh, almost like an end zone feel. It's a little elevated. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Colorado, another the other mountain school, that's a, a really sneaky good pick, too. They, they have a great atmosphere in there. I mean, Arizona is the easy one, right, because McHale's always sold out. It's always a great vibe there. And uh, for the Beavs fans who are in Portland, I love going to Gill. I really do. It's a, it's a really it, – it doesn't have the curb appeal of Matthew Knight, but it's got that great kind of musty old gym smell to it. Uh, they've got my favorite pet band in the Pac-12 for what it's worth, Judah. Uh, so uh, those are those are a couple of really really good places I like to get to. I uh, gotta love it. Speaking of Gil, you called the first Civil War matchup between Oregon and Oregon State earlier this month in January. It was a 12-point Oregon State victory. Now Oregon did get revenge just last Saturday at Matthew Knight Arena. But what do you recall from uh, your broadcast of Oregon Oregon State back in January 3rd? I want to say and as you get ready to call these Beaver and Duck games this week, how have you kind of monitored those teams since that game? Yeah, I've had a, I've, I've been grateful. I've been able to see both teams a couple of times now uh, in in conference play. Uh, but that's always that is one of my favorite events to call uh, in terms of college basketball is being able to call the Civil War, and it never surprises me. Even when the Ducks are a ranked team, like they almost always are, until right now it seems like. It never surprises me when the Beavers take down the Ducks if that game is played in Corvallis. Uh, just there's just something about the Beavs at home, and you can say that, of course, about basically any any uh, college team, especially in the Pac-12. But um, I remember Trey Tinkle having a really good game uh, that day for the Beavers, and in fact, a, a number of Beavs had a good game. And the Ducks, although they were it was a close game at halftime, uh, the Beavers really pulled away from the Ducks in the second half. And kind of the feeling, I don't know if kind of the sentiment is still the same with the Ducks right now, and you might have a better feel for it, is that's a team that just never really seemed like, when I saw them at least early in conference play, never really seemed like they came together, right? I mean, Dana has been so good even before the Final Four run, I mean, even before uh, the, the real glory days for the Ducks recently, and so good at bringing transfers together and having them gel almost instantly. Mm-hmm. But that just hasn't happened, at least from my eyes, from when I have seen the Ducks play this year. That hasn't happened to quite the same degree. And, I mean, I think probably the biggest reason is simply because in years past, if you go back to the 13-14 season or 14-15 season, I mean, my memory serves me right. It's, there was still a lot of holdovers, right? There were still some glue parts with those transfers. Whereas yeah. this year, I mean, it's it's Peyton and a bunch of new guys. <laughs> and, so and, and Peyton Pritchard is not – a super vocal guy if that is meaningful in this situation. Uh, so I'm going to be really curious. You referenced kind of the back nine of the conference play, which is about to begin here in February. I'm going to be really 
curious to see how the back half of the schedule treats the Ducks and if they're really able to gel quickly over these final uh, final months of the regular season or so. Aaron Goldsmith joining us here on 1029 The Game. Follow him on Twitter at HeyGoldie. Uh, Aaron, yeah, and you're exactly right, actually. Duck fans watching this team, the potential is so visible and enticing, and yet it hasn't really manifested itself in any impactful way. It feels like it's getting there. The big win over Oregon State this past Saturday kind of felt like Oregon was going in the right direction, but as soon as you feel like they're going in the right direction, they'll stub their toe like they did at home against USC last week. Um, I know, obviously, they played Arizona tough on the road. That's always a tough place to play. So I think there's tempered optimism, but here we are about to enter February, and reality has to set in at some point, and the Ducks find themselves in the middle of the Pac-12 standings, and and really it remains an uphill climb if they want to battle back into at-large conversation and at least put themselves in a diff- in a decent spot for a Pac-12 tournament run. Aaron, I, w- I want to ask you this. As someone that's called a lot of these Pac-12 games so far and has been looking at the uh, the conference um, regularly, does it feel any different in terms of quality of play this year in the Pac-12 as opposed to years past? I know it's a bit younger overall as a conference, and a lot of talented players went in the NBA draft from this conference a season ago. But what have you kind of made of the quality of play in the Pac-12 this year? Has it been any different? Yeah, I think so. There isn't. There isn't really that monster. I mean, Arizona's always going to be there. Arizona State, we continue to see kind of slide down each week uh, in the rankings because of notable losses. To me, and I've kind of talked to some of my colleagues, whether it be analysts or producers or directors, we all kind of feel like, and I don't mean this is going to come across kind of mean-spirited. I don't mean it to. Cal is clearly rebuilding in so many ways. If you have a game with, any combination of teams other than Cal right now, I mean, you're going to probably get a really good game of the Pac-12. Mm. Um, and that being said, I was on the call for Cal's only conference win, and it was an incredible come-from-behind win. They were down by almost 15 in the second half, and they came back at Maples to, to take down Stanford. Uh, so just as I say that almost any game other than with Cal, and I saw the one game where they really did make it incredible, um, but it's just it's so even across the board. You get the sense that on on any given night anything could happen. I mean, even when I did a game at Arizona recently against Colorado, um, Colorado made it really really close in the final minutes. And this is in McHale, in the best home court advantage of the conference and one of the best in the entire nation. So you don't have those big heavy hitting monsters with UCLA. I mean, there's no Lonzo Ball anymore. There isn't. Uh, the trifecta of talent for Dana Altman, uh, like we saw last year. And uh, Arizona, um, even though they're a top-ten team, uh, they're not maybe as solid defensively, I think, without question, as they were a season ago. So any given night, you can get just a fantastic game of the Pac-12. And we're hoping to see a couple of good games at uh, Maples Pavilion this week. Uh, Of course, the common opponent for the Ducks and Beavers is the Stanford Cardinal. And... Aaron, I know from afar, Stanford struggling as of late with those three straight losses, albeit to tough opponents. But as you go about preparing for your calls this week with the Cardinal, what do you see in them? Yeah, you know, Reed Travis is uh, is maybe the biggest man outside of DeAndre Ayton in the Pac-12. Uh, so the the combination of Travis versus uh, 
Eubanks, certainly tomorrow night for the Beavers will be one that I'll be interested to see. You know, one of the storylines with Stanford this year uh, that I've found so interesting is you look at uh, a guy who had committed to Lorenzo Romar and to the Huskies and then decommitted, of course, when Romar was fired. Dejon Davis, the point guard, freshman point guard from Seattle for the Cardinal. I mean, this is a guy who was kind of all over the place in the non-conference. In fact, really did not finish the non-conference on a particularly high note. And he has... Uh, by and large, been really solid. It has lasted a little bit lately, a couple of games versus uh, USC and Arizona, which you, you kind of referenced. Uh, but when he has been playing to the level that they think he is capable in, in playing for years to come, I mean, he's really helped to transform uh, that team. And we mentioned Travis. Michael Humphrey is can be such a good mismatch uh, for the Cardinal as well. And then they've kind of got this group of guys, uh, Oscar De Silva, who is a freshman from Brazil, who is a, a really good young player, uh, Dorian Pickens, a senior, uh, who is one of their best three-point shooters. I mean, the Cardinal are a team that is on a slide right now, but there was a time, uh, including when they came here to Seattle, where I live, uh, and took down the Huskies at home, where you kind of had the feeling, especially at home for the, for the Cardinal, that this is a team that could be just about anybody in conference play. And, of course, we saw uh, what it was about a weekend or so ago when they took Arizona down to the wire at home. Right, absolutely. Uh, speaking of Seattle area, college basketball, uh, being that uh, you're based in the Emerald City, um, what are Washington fans seeing in their team this year? You probably interact with them in a ver- variety of capacities, particularly on social media, but they're 5-3 and three right now, 15-6 and six overall, you know, top three team in terms of standings in the conference, what do you see in the Huskies and what are realistic expectations for them? Well, uh, anybody who was wondering about Mike Hopkins when the season began uh, obviously feels a lot better about him now, what he has been able to do with that 2-3 zone and with the young talent with the Huskies because it has, man, if you told Husky fans you get 15 wins in total this season, I mean, forget when you turn the page into February, I think most Husky fans would be would be really pretty okay with that. They want to be thrilled, but they would see it as an improvement. And already five wins in conference play, five and three. Um, I mean, this is a team that obviously lost all the star recruits by and large. And Hopkins is coming in, trying to build something from the ground up, and dominating win at home recently against Washington State. It was a sold-out crowd. Mike Hopkins did something that was pretty cool. He took out a full-page ad in the Seattle Times and thanked uh, the fans, the student section, for showing up and being so engaged in such a part of that win against the Cougs, obviously a rivalry game. And so that was really cool to see a a guy who was uh, in his first year here in Seattle uh, really going all in, uh, taking the time, having the creativity to come up with something like that and and to really kind of extend that arm out to the fan base because, let's face it, that program has lost a lot of fans here in Seattle. Uh, it just has been so disappointing in recent seasons, which is tough to say, but that's just, been, that's just the truth. So Hopkins has a long way to go to build this thing up, and I would say he is certainly ahead of schedule with what we've seen so far this year. Aaron Goldsmith joining us here on 102.9-750 The Game. Aaron, before I let you go, Got to ask you about the Mariners and their offseason and uh, spring training. Not too far away, February 23rd, from my count, is the first spring training game and then opening day 
March 29th, Mariners and Indians. Uh, I I know baseball fans in the area. Very much looking forward to hearing yourself and Rick Riz call the action again here on uh, Portland's home of the Mariners. Aaron, what has the offseason been like, and what's your reaction to Edgar just coming up short for the Hall of Fame this year? And uh, hopefully he can get in next year with uh, one more year of eligibility. Yeah, I think we all feel pretty good. feel very confident that Edgar will get in next year in his final season of eligibility. Uh, in terms of the offseason for the Mariners, it's been pretty quiet, right, in terms of relative to uh, Jerry DePoto's winters of uh, of seasons gone by. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement about D. Gordon. Scott Service basically said that it will be Gordon at the top of the order, Segura two, and then, of course, the rest will fall in order from there with uh, Cano and Cruz and Seager. Uh, this will be a lineup I, I don't think there's any question can go toe-to-toe with uh, maybe even a Yankees lineup in the American League. I mean, this is going to be a really, really stacked, potent lineup with tremendous speed with Gordon and Segura at the top, and then we'll see where he wants to put uh, guys like Ben Gamble and Mitch Hanniger as well. Uh, so the rotation is the question mark right now, but if it stays healthy, which is the biggest question mark not only for the Mariners but all 30 teams, uh, if it stays healthy, it, it can be very good. Wow, we uh, just dipped into the shallow end of the Mariners baseball pool, Aaron, but uh, that's given me enough excitement. I could just talk baseball with you for another hour, (laughs) Uh, but we'll have some room to let it breathe until uh, later this February when we'll hear your baseball calls from spring training and, of course, in late March when the regular season rolls around. And uh, until then, I would encourage Mariner fans particularly, go follow Aaron on Twitter, at HeyGoldie, and follow uh, his podcast, The Wheelhouse, with Jerry DePoto. Awesome content in there. In the meantime, Aaron will have the television call tomorrow night, 8 p.m. tip-off for Stanford and Oregon State. And then Duck fans, tune in to Big Fox. That's Channel 12 in the greater Portland area, KPTV. Aaron Goldsmith will uh, have the call alongside Steve Lavin for the Ducks and Cardinal, a big, big matchup for both teams on Saturday afternoon. Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time. It's great reconnecting with you, sir, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Will you be making your way out to Eugene next week? I will be there on February 7th for Ducks and Huskies. Great Pac-12 rivalry. That is fantastic. Looking forward to that. Aaron, thanks for taking the time. Great talk with you again, Judith. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Aaron Goldsmith. Go away. Come back. Final segment. Quack Attack on a Wednesday night. The final night of January is up next on the game. More Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. All white swings left to Troy Brown Jr. In the post. McIntosh. Two-handed dunk. Good post move from McIntosh. Oregon, a quick four points. Final segment, Quack Attack here on 1029-750. The game, that highlight, Mikhail McIntosh as the Ducks played Arizona earlier this year. That parlays us into our benchmark. A key matchup. Which matchup will be critical for the Ducks' success? Judah Newby breaks down the key matchup. Brought to you by Oregon College Savings Plan. Imagine the possibilities. Mikhail McIntosh didn't have a breakout Civil War game on Saturday. His final stat line against the Beavers, seven points. He was uh, two for three from downtown, though. Had a nice stroke. He... 
contributed six rebounds, had one assist, did have a steal as well, committed two turnovers in 30 minutes of play as the Ducks beat the Beavs by nine. The key matchup, though, I'm looking ahead to Saturday afternoon in the matinee showdown with Stanford. And it's going to be their best player, their best front court presence, the junior, Reed Travis. Travis, six foot eight, 245 pounds, averages 19.4 points a game, 7.6 rebounds, and one and a half assists per contest. You won't see him take a lot of threes. He does his damage, crashing the offensive glass, working himself around the rim, imposing his presence down low. The Ducks antidote to that, it's got to be Mikhail McIntosh. Not only in terms of his defense and rebounding, but in terms of making Reed Travis work on the defensive end himself. McIntosh stands at 6'7", 240. As mentioned, Travis, 6'8", 245. Those two upperclassmen frontcourt players will be banging down low Saturday afternoon when the Ducks take on the Cardinal. Whoever has the upper hand in that matchup, will uh, their team will win the game. It's as simple as that. Now, keep in mind, McIntosh averages 10 points a contest and six rebounds, and Travis is at 19 and 7. But Travis just had 11 points when the Stanford Cardinal visited UCLA, and that was a big reason why Stanford lost that game by double digits. So if he performs under his averages, that should mean success for the Oregon Ducks. In terms of predicting the week, I haven't talked much about Oregon and Cal because simply that. Ducks at this point should take care of business against an inferior opponent. Cal qualifies, 1-8 and eight in the Pac-12, 7-15 and 15 overall. Ducks need to win in Berkeley. Should they do that? Sets up a big game. Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. tip-off. Tip off. It's on Big Fox. That's the Fox National Network, KPTV, here in the greater Portland, Oregon area. Aaron Goldsmith will have the call. If you missed any of our interviews from earlier today, we had Scott Reese, the radio voice of Stanford football and basketball. That's going to be podcasted on our SoundCloud page later tonight. It will also be posted on Facebook and Twitter. Just follow at 1029 The Game. And, of course, we also talked to Aaron Goldsmith, not only the Mariners radio and television voice, and you'll hear him during the baseball season right here on the game, but he's got the calls of both Cardinal Beavers tomorrow night on Fox Sports 1 and Ducks Cardinals Saturday afternoon on Fox Catch both of those in podcast form if you missed them from earlier tonight. All right, I got to get out of here. I'm predicting Duck victories at Cal. And why not? Oregon pieces this sucker of a season together and wins in Palo Alto Saturday afternoon. Should they do both those things, it will be a four-game win streak as they come back home to host Washington and Washington State next week. And that is where we turn our attention on the first February edition of the Quack Attack a week from tonight. Right here on The Game, Wednesday, 7 to 8 p.m. Big shout-out thanks to Chris Partee behind the glass. I'm Judah Newby. I'll be with you again during the Dan Patrick Show for updates in the morning and at KXL. In the meantime, we hand you off to CBS Sports Radio and Pharrell on the bench on Super Bowl 52 week from Minneapolis. Until next week, everybody, God bless.